0: Come ye sinners, lost and hopeless Jesus' blood can make you free For he saved the worst among you When he saved a wretch like me To the faith Through the mountains makes a way, findeth water in the desert, turns the night to golden day. And I I know, yes, I know, yes, I know, yes, I know jesus blood can make the vilest sinner clean and i know yes i know yes i know yes i know jesus blood can make the vilest sinner clean in temptation he is near thee holds the power You to the path of safety gives you grace for every day. He will keep thee while the ages roll through. Yes, I know. Yes, I know. Jesus' blood can make the vilest sinner clean. And I know. Yes, I know. Yes, I know. Yes, I know. Jesus' blood can make the vilest sinner.
1: Well, aren't you glad his blood can make the vilest sinner clean? Amen. Boy, the moment we start thinking we weren't that vilest sinner, is, well, we got a problem on our hands, don't we? Amen. Well, let's take our Bibles. Turn over the book of Timothy, if you would. First Timothy again. As we close this series out, we complete it tonight. First Timothy, chapter six. Let's begin reading in verse 17 tonight, right through verse 21. 17 through 21, we've covered uh, a lot of ground, basically, I don't know how long it's been, but it's kind of been off and on a little bit, but it's been quite a while, and we've covered a lot of ground in First Timothy. We begin reading in verse 17, when the Apostle Paul, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, says, charge them that are rich in this world, that they be not high-minded, nor trust in uncertain riches, but in the living God. Who giveth us richly all things to enjoy, that they do good, that they be rich in good works, ready to distribute, willing to communicate, laying up in store for themselves a good foundation against the time to come, that they may lay hold on eternal life. O Timothy, keep that which is committed to thy trust, avoiding profane and vain babblings and oppositions of science falsely so-called, which some professing have erred concerning the faith grace be with thee. Amen. So we have the book of 1 Timothy, and as we close it out today, we certainly lament the fact that we'll be leaving. I mean, I don't know about you, but I like this book. I've enjoyed it, and um, there's so many wonderful, wonderful truths and precepts and principles that we have touched on and had opportunity to address while journeying through this book. But as we close this book, we're going to have an opportunity to see the apostle's heart again as he kind of recaps a few things as he brings it all down and says all right timothy now here's the bottom line let's get some things handled let's make sure that you're ready to fly straight and i'll tell you what uh, uh, i'm sure the apostle paul was an amazing man but i got to believe that timothy being mentored by him became quite a fellow himself and uh, obviously we have a couple of books or letters that were written to him, but we also have a record of him in the Word of God. So he's obviously somebody to uh, certainly look at and to uh, take note of. And uh, we have a number of young Timothys in our midst, I believe. And I think that's important. I think that it's important that they realize the potential that they represent. Some of these young men today uh, need to realize that, Boy, i tell you what, the only thing holding them back from being used of God in a mighty way is themselves. It won't be our society or our culture. It's not going to be the leadership here or the people in the pews. It's going to be themselves. And so many times we can blame other people why we don't succeed or why we don't go on to victory. But the reality is, is that ultimately it's our decision, isn't it? It's up to us. And the only people, the person that can really hold us back is ourselves. And, you know, if the Lord's on our side, who? what are we going to do? And these young men have Christ in their heart and Boy, I'll tell you what, I'm excited about what God has in store for them, even as I'm sure the Apostle Paul was extremely excited about what Timothy had in store for his future. Now, as we ended last week, we were talking or touched on this aspect of the Apostle Paul who had kind of taken us to the heights of heaven at one point, and then he kind of brought us back down to earth. And we kind of had a kind of a bump again as he brought us back into reality, dealing again with this issue of... Of, of finances, of money, if you will, materialistic issues and attitudes and and so he, he, he we kind of ended last week as we addressed this issue. you know he says, "Charge them that are rich in this world, that they be not high minded nor trust on certain riches, but in the living God and of course, we know that no matter what phase of life we 're in, no matter what status of life we 're in wherever we're at, we ought to be trusting in the Lord and not in things or men or princes or any other thing, even even our government or, or uh, you know, any kind of, uh, uh, you know, uh, anything other than the Lord. So he, he makes that clear. And then he goes on to tell him that, uh, uh, you know, he's the one, the Lord is the one who uh, giveth us richly all things to enjoy. So, you know, all, every good gift cometh down from the Father of lights, the Bible tells us in the book of James. So we know that anything good in your life is a direct result of God. And he wants Amen. Timothy to know that, and he, he wants the rich people to know that, just like every poor person ought to know that. Right. And so Amen. it's so important we all need to be real uh, aware of that truth. Then he moves on to 18, that they do good, that they be rich in good works, ready to distribute, willing to communicate. Again, the responsibility of the rich is to society. The responsibility of the rich is to, to others and others. Uh, uh, you know to mankind and so so often if we're not careful we we begin to increase in goods and we begin to take steps forward in maybe our finances or in our materialistic gains and all of a sudden we forget about other people it, it focus comes to us and the apostle paul saying listen if you've got people in your midst that are rich that, that they make sure that they do good that they be rich in good works not just rich in finance but rich in good works that they're doing good things that they're being involved and that they're being uh, engaged in the process of reaching out to people making an impact and a difference and influencing lives and and that's important i uh, uh you know it, it's so important that we realize that whatever god gives us whatever he puts in these hands are to be redistributed or given back out right you know it's it's you know like they say they're not given into these hands to put into our pockets you know they're placed here so that we can hand them out to others as well. And, you know, listen, let's be honest. You know, if I had a million dollars, I would give this or I would give that. Well, you know what? You, you don't have a million dollars. And so, you know, uh, if that's what you're waiting on, you'll never be used of God to do anything for God. You know, what God gives you is what you're responsible for. And, uh, you know, we often say, well, if God really could trust us with a million dollars, He'd give it to us. Well, I'm not convinced of that because I think He could trust me with a million but the fact is, is that, and I mean that with all my heart, <laughs> I do. I believe God could trust me with a million bucks. I, I've seen more than that come through this church, and I've been faithful with that money. And I've not stolen it. I've not taken it to the, you know, going on a, you know, Bahama cruise without anybody knowing about it. You know, I, I understand that. I, I've dealt with a lot of money through the ministry in these years, and I, I think I'm worthy. I think, I think God could trust me with a million. Uh, but here's the problem. I don't need a million, obviously. If God wanted me to have a million, I'd have a million. And you know what? Maybe he could trust you with a million too. But he doesn't think you need it right now. I, I don't know where we come up with that idea that just because you don't have it doesn't mean you, you, know, you can't be trusted with it. Right. That would be like telling somebody because he's not married yet he can't be trusted with a wife. Right. I, I don't know if that makes any logic to me. I don't know. He could make, maybe make a great husband. It's just not time for him yet. So I, I don't know. But all I'm saying is, and I don't know why I got on that subject. I just thought I'd throw that out there. But um, the fact is, is that what we do have, we're to use for God. And, and, and if I could say this, you know, there's no richer people like we talked about last week than Americans. We are rich beyond the wildest dreams of most people. Let's not lose sight of that. And the next time we go poor-mouthing and talking about how we're so poor and we don't have nothing to give to God, nothing we can do for others, let's slow down a minute and think that through a little bit, Okay. Let's really slow that down a little bit. I think every one of us can do something for God and can do something for others if we really wanted to. And, uh, uh, you know, it, it's it's important that we don't lose sight of that because in the long run, we're all going to stand before the Lord at the judgment seat of Christ and give an account for what He did put in our hands. And I just, I just think that I fit into this rich category a lot more than I fit into the poor category. I believe that with all my heart. I'm rich beyond... I just can't even believe how much God's given to me through my lifetime. And, and I, I just think, wow, what if I don't do things for others? I, I think that do good, do good, uh, that they be rich in good works, ready to distribute, willing to communicate, and uh, then laying up in store for themselves good foundation against the time to come that they may lay hold on eternal life. But I'll tell you what, the rich person is to focus, is, is their focus is to be on eternal things eternal things and he says man you you do right if you communicate and if you will uh, if the, the rich person will uh will do good works and, and be ready to distribute and willing to communicate then they're going to lay up and store for themselves a good foundation that what he's talking about is they're going to be or stand before the lord and they're going to have a, a good you know foundation to stand before him and not only that but the rewards that they're going to receive are going to be eternal not just a temporal reward but it'll be eternal now and i think we ought to be shooting for that right all of us should be shooting for those eternal rewards. What would you be willing to give up in this life to have something for eternity? What, what would you be willing to give up today in this life in order to be rewarded for eternity? I mean, really, when we think about it, that's exactly what God promises us. And uh, it, it's, it's hard. I mean, we, it's, it's tough. The world's got a hold on us, whether we'd like to admit it or not. But nonetheless... We see this with the rich. Then, he, then all of a sudden, he closes it all out now. And this is where we come to. O Timothy, keep that which is committed to thy trust. Avoiding profane and vain babblings and opposition of science, falsely so-called. He says, keep that which is committed to thy trust. Now, that word keep means to guard. It means to keep watch or to beware. You know, um, the Greeks used... Uh, this word in a military context. And, you know, a soldier would be on guard, and, and a soldier on guard had one duty, basically. And that duty, of course, was to protect, to keep watch, to uh, maintain security. I mean, that's what, a, that's what a soldier did that was on watch or on <laughs> guard duty. And so they, they basically said, okay, you're in charge of protecting or watching over this, and you, you basically stood your post and if somebody came too close you 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 know uh, confronted them you had to identify them you weren't permitted to allow people in without proper identification um, you were to guard that with your life so to speak and you know that's that's how you fulfilled your duty as a soldier and in this particular case the apostle paul is using this term this military term keep that which is committed to thy trust he refers basically to Timothy as almost a soldier that with something that he is to guard, that he is to protect, that he's to keep safe, that he's to put in essence under lock and key. This picture of a soldier or guard, it reminds us of a story in the Bible. Um, there was a situation where the Syrians were attacking the, the Israel, attacking Israel. And so King Ben-Hadad and his people or, or army was coming against uh, Samaria and Ahab. And um, ultimately, he, he asks him, he tells him, you give me your wife and your children and, and your gold and silver, and uh, we're good. And Ahab says, okay. Can you imagine that already? I mean, this is the kind of guy Ahab was, right? Real stand-up guy. Honey, excuse me, King Ben-Hadad wants you. Uh, if it means my life and safety, you're gone. You know, that, that, that's, that's Ahab, right? So, but then, then King uh, ben comes back again and says, well, that's not enough. Now I want to be able to send my men in to, uh, you know, uh, look over your kingdom and to check your checkbook out and to look at all your, your riches and everything else that you own. And I want, to be, they want them to be able to go in and grab and take whatever else they want on top of it. And then all of a sudden, you know, Ahab's like, <laughs> you know, I mean, it's all about Ahab, mind you. So, I mean, are you kidding me? Now, what am I going to have left for me now? I can do away with a few wives and some children and some of my silver and gold, but man, take everything. Are you kidding? So he goes to the guys, the people, and he says, hey, listen, fellas, look what King Ben-Hadad is doing to me. And Ben-Hadad and, and the people say, listen, don't let it happen, King. Let's stand our ground. We're willing to fight. And boy, they did fight. And they won the battle. And... Uh, so what happens is, is that, of course, uh, the, the Syrian army uh, runs with their tail between their legs. They're gone. And they, they get together and they have a powwow and they say, now listen. If I, I get this mixed up all the time, which it is. But I believe that it, they fought in the hills. And so he says, oh, you know what? Their God is the God of the hills. He's not the God of the valleys. So a year later, and of course, Ahab is told this by a prophet this king's coming back with some more troops. So they come back again a year later and they decide we're going to fight in the valley because our gods are stronger in the valley than their god is. Well, they lose again. And this time, I mean, honestly, King Ahab has an opportunity to literally wipe out the army and kill King Benadad, But he doesn't do it. Do you know what he does instead? He calls him his brother, He allows him to come up into his chariot, and they ride off in the sunset together as friends. Well, that's not the end of the story. Because following the battle, one of the sons of the prophets disguises himself. And he goes to King Ahab. He finds King Ahab along the way, and he says, Thy servant went out into the midst of the battle. And behold, a man turned aside and brought a man unto me and said... Keep this man. If by any means he be missing, then shall thy life be for his life, or else thou shalt pay a talent of silver. And as thy servant was busy here and there, he was gone. Talking about the man that he was responsible for, the one he was to watch after and look after. Ahab responded to the confession immediately. Right off the bat, he says, so shall thy judgment be. You know what he's saying? Oh, okay. So you just told me then what the, 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 the repercussions of your failure is. You're going to give your life, young man. You're done. You're finished then. You were entrusted this man, and you failed. Why did you fail? Because you were busy here and there. And so your life is no longer yours anymore. What happens? This particular prophet strips his makeup off, so to speak, and he basically turns to the king and he says, Thus saith the Lord, Because thou hast let go out of thy hand a man whom I appointed to utter destruction, therefore thy life shall go for his life. Boy, did he turn the tables on King Ahab. And he said, man, the Lord said, you were, I delivered this man into your hands, King ben and and you were not responsible for him. Obviously, you got busy here, and you got busy there. And you weren't responsible, and you did not fulfill your obligation. You didn't do what was required of you and necessary. I wonder, was Timothy... In danger of being busy here and there. And as a result, allowing the precious truth that he was commissioned to guard be stolen away. I wonder. Because the Apostle Paul here is saying, O Timothy, O Timothy, keep that which is committed to thy trust. What it appears as he's trying to tell him is, listen, don't you dare, Timothy, get busy here and there and forget about the truth that's been entrusted into your watch care and the ministry that I have yielded to you and given to you. What about you and I? How about us tonight? You, me. Are we so busy here and there that we permit the truth to be stolen or misplaced along the way in our own lives? Are we guilty of... The sin of Ahab, of being entrusted, the man, the Lord Jesus Christ. But because we get so busy here and there, where did he go? God help us not to get so busy here and there. So Paul, he not only speaks of this issue, but then he goes on to warn Timothy to be on guard against a few things realizing that it's not going to be coincidence or chance that you're going to, uh, you know, that, that the truth comes up missing. You can't allow yourself, to give, to give yourself an opportunity even to allow that to happen. And so he goes right on along the lines of what he did earlier in the, the, the letter in 1 Timothy to, to speak of these issues of profane things. Notice he goes on to say, "Oh Timothy, keep that which is committed to thy trust, avoiding profane and vain babblings. Now, we discussed some of this earlier in the book, but... Still, right here in the passage, he says, "Listen, you need to avoid this profane and vain babblings. The word profane. it's a word that means to be unhallowed or possibly it also means to be, to be um, trodden. Like if you could um, picture a, a door frame, and you know how on, on the doorframe there's that, that you know that what's that thing called threshold, you know you walk through and you Step on the threshold, you're trodden upon it. You're trotting upon it. And, and what this, this word profane has to do is to be unhallowed or to be trodden. And we have an example of this in the, in the life of Esau, mind you. Over in the book of Hebrews chapter 12, look over there if you would. Hebrews chapter 12 verse 16. In Hebrews chapter 12, verse 16, we read, Lest there be any fornicator or profane person as Esau, who for one morsel of meat sold his birthright. Esau here, of course, is called profane. That's, again, an interesting term. And the reason he's profane is because, basically, he had no interest in the things of God. I mean, he was being offered, or what was really his rightful... uh, to, to be heir of the birthright. I mean, he would be the head of the home spiritually. He would be the one who would direct worship. I mean, this was a man who had every opportunity to thrive in spirituality, and yet he had, no, he had disdain toward the spiritual side. He had no interest in the things of God. So therefore, he sells his birthright for a bowl of stew, basically. He considered his spiritual birthright unhallowed. Or to be trodden like a threshold. Basically stepped upon it. Thought it to be no consequence of no consequence. The word translated vain babblings here points to empty discussions. Basically it means much talk about nothing. And so when we take those two together, profane and those vain babblings, It basically makes us think about people who lack any real relationship with God or any real contact with God. And it reminds us of how they often speak of basically useless subjects, things that have no real purpose. Isn't it funny how we can all talk about sports and the weather and talk about this and talk about that? We... We know so much about so many things and we discuss so many things about... And again, there's nothing wrong with being well-rounded. I think as believers, we need to be well-rounded. Don't misunderstand what I'm saying. But when we neglect talk of real significant things, spiritual things, but we can talk about every other thing, you know where we're really leaning toward? We're leaning toward... Let me read it here. Profane and vain babblings. Much talk about nothing. Think about rabbis. The rabbis in the Old Testament, Jesus' day who would debate what constituted a violation of the Sabbath day. Then they would speak of it and talk of it and debate it continually and constantly. And basically all it ended up leading to was more unnecessary restrictions. Today we have New Age philosophers. We have cultic leaders. And these people, these men, these women, they introduce doctrines and they introduce beliefs and these beliefs are completely and totally contrary to Scripture. Yet we discuss them, we talk about them. They're brought up on a regular basis. These people, these men, these women are unashamed And yet they're very effectively enlisting people in their cause. Paul basically saying the talk and the speech and the the words that they say are nothing more than much talk about nothing. Listen, don't you ever, don't ever put another God on the same level as the god. Yeah. Right. Don't ever try to appease the spiritual or the <laughs> appease the feelings of someone in another religion by simply right. yes, somehow raising their god and their faith to yours. That's right. That's right. It is not even remotely close. Right. Now you don't have to be dis- you know you don't have to be nasty, you don't have to be you know seeking to hurt or harm anyone, but let me tell you something to just talk about Muhammad as though he is equal with God the Father in heaven that is pure blasphemy yeah. Yeah. and you say well that 's not going to win you any friends and influence many people in your life listen i don't I need god 's approval in my life i 've got to have him in my life, and listen, I am not helping that young muslim i 'm not helping some young a, a person tied up in some fake or false religion right. By somehow telling them That what they believe is on the same level or plane as what I believe You're right. Amen. I'm not helping them right. not aiding them I'm not enabling them to truly find the truth What I'm doing is Is I'm burying them six feet under And pointing them in the direction of hell That's right. Again, I, I don't believe you need to be nasty with people And I don't think you ought to go out looking for trouble and I'm not stupid, so I'm certainly not going to do something ignorant like burn somebody's Bible or something. That's stupid. Why would I want to incite the disdain the, the, the or the anger or, or, or uh, you know, wrath of those people? I can't help somebody if they're just angry at me. You're right. That's right. So the best I can, I want to continue to work toward a relationship with people. But on the other hand, the Bible says that we cannot agree with a fool in his folly. So in this particular case, we find that there are those that are living with profane and vain babblings. They are propagating it. They're promoting it. Then he goes on to talk to Timothy and he says to Timothy, also he says, avoiding profane and vain babblings and oppositions of science falsely so-called. Again, like babblings, these oppositions are also a tremendous waste of time. The word translated oppositions means a contrary position. Somebody stands in opposition or a contrary position to you. The word for science simply means knowledge. So the idea is that there's some special kind of knowledge being used to contradict the sound doctrine that Timothy was commissioned to guard. He's there planting his feet deep in the sand. He's making a a solid stand. But there are going to be those who claim to have some special knowledge that would discount what he is guarding. And don't think that doesn't happen today. It happens all the time. Paul says simply this, avoid them. These oppositions can be deadly. You think about science, falsely so-called. I don't think you can help but think about evolution. You're right. You know it's interesting. Evolution is the probably the single most dangerous enemy that the church has faced in our generation and for many generations. I mean, we know that Gnosticism early on was the greatest enemy. We know that especially in the second, first and second century it was extremely difficult and tough for churches to stand in opposition to Gnosticism. But in our day, evolution seems to reign. And the problem with evolution is that it is science falsely so-called. <laughs> yeah, and um, evolution basically gives people a way of explaining the universe without God. It literally says to them, You don't have to believe in God because there is another way. See, before evolution came along, there was no other way. You either just chose to not believe or to believe. Now you have an alternative belief. Boy, is it dangerous. But it is, again, science so falsely called. So Paul, again, says, avoid it, Timothy. Avoid those teaching it. Avoid the doctrines themselves. It's deadly for believers. Not just evolution, but any other thing that, again, stands in opposition to what you and I have been called or commissioned to guard, and that's the truth. The Apostle Paul, from what I can tell, when he's talking about avoiding it or turning away from it, he's, he's basically saying that we can't get caught up in discussions or dealing with those issues or trying to debate that situation. You know, we waste so much time trying to argue a point. No, we just need to stand for the truth. That's it, amen. And so many times, you know, we, we, the reason we do that, let's be honest, is because our pride's at stake. You know, because we've got to make sure that everybody knows we're right. They're wrong. Listen, you don't need to argue with anybody. Don't waste your time arguing with somebody that is unwilling to learn. If they're not teachable, then give them some scripture and let God work on them. Give them the truth, but do not waste your time arguing over things you cannot, you're not going to be able to fix them in that regard. Let God do His work. Now, if you can have a discussion, that's fine. But look at how much time we waste so often. We've got to be careful with that. D.L. Moody, he used to say, the main thing is to keep the main thing the main thing. Yeah, D.L. Moody, he said, the main thing is to keep the main thing the main thing. Boy, be careful, he says to Timothy. He says, Keep that which is committed to thy trust, avoiding profane and vain babblings and oppositions science, uh, of science falsely so-called. Then he says, which some professing have heard concerning the faith. Grace be with thee, amen. Paul knew personally. He was, had personal contact with people who had taken the bait and been deceived and ultimately fell away from the faith, turned aside from the faith. Some professing have erred concerning the faith, and Paul knew them personally. Again, Paul advises them, just avoid them. Don't get mixed up with that mess. Romans chapter 16, turn there if you would real quickly, verse 17 through 18. While writing to the Romans the Apostle Paul expresses it this way. He says in Romans chapter 16, verse 17 through 18, I, I think you really need to be careful getting on the internet and researching all the things that come to your mind. You better be real careful. As a matter of fact, that, that's just ignorant because you think you're in control, but you're not. Go ahead. You will not believe what you believe today if you keep searching the Internet, looking up all these different faiths or religions and trying to understand what, why this guy says what he said. And, well, that preacher says this, but my pastor says this, and this, and this, and our Bible says it this way, but then other Bibles say it that way. And let will tell you what, you better be real careful when you do that because what you've done is you've went ahead and uh, submitted yourself to the authority of others. You've allowed them influence in your life. You know, people that influence you will ultimately affect you. That's just the way it is. So you have to be careful. We often say to teenagers uh, and, and to young people and to singles, uh, listen, you, you don't, let your, don't, don't let your friends pick you. You pick your friends. That's it, you want to know why? See, just because somebody likes me and wants to hang out with me doesn't mean I'm going to like them and hang out with them. Right. That's it. You, you understand what I'm saying to you? Yeah. Because, see, I know that if I allow that to happen, I'm, gonna, I'm permitting them to influence my life. Right. So, listen, I decide who I hang out with. I decide who I do, who I do things with and who I permit to, to discuss things with and to hear things from. I don't need the advice from everybody in the world. I need the advice from people that I trust. And when we get on the internet, you are submitting yourself to advice often and to influence. You really don't even know the nature of it or the foundation of it. You better be real careful with that. Especially is spiritual matters. And I, even not just spiritual matters. Be careful. Oh, I'm going to check up raising kids. You better be real careful. Right. You got every single person in the world thinks they're an expert at it. And half their kids have turned out for the devil. But they've got all the answers. You're right. Come on. You better be real careful who you're listening to. That's right. Amen. Well, we have timeout chairs in our house. And we've got this. And we do it this way. And we believe that you shouldn't say no. And we believe. You better be real careful who you are allowing to influence yep. you. And you say, well, I wouldn't let that influence me. You listen to it long enough, you'll fall into it. You're just like me, and I'm just like you. We are just flesh. Romans 16, verse 7. So here's what the Apostle Paul gives to Timothy, or uh, not just to Timothy, but he gives to the Romans here. He says, now I beseech you, brethren, mark them which cause division and offenses contrary to the doctrine which ye have learned, and avoid them. Mark them and avoid them. Mark them and avoid them. You say, what do you mean? Name them and shame them. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Right.
1: Name them and shame them. You better watch that guy. He's preaching false doctrine. He's teaching false doctrine. You better watch that gal. She's peddling things that are contrary to Scripture. You better watch it. You better be careful. I'm, I'm telling you, avoid it. Avoid her. It's funny. Someone can talk bad about your pastor, but you'll still be best buddies with them. I just hit a nerve.
0: Come
1: on. I hit a nerve. That that hurt. That hurt. I could feel it right there in my funny bone. Yep. Let me tell you something. You better be real careful with that one. You're right. Amen. Come on. You better be careful with that. Hey, this thing with this Facebook and all this stuff where everybody comes here and everybody's all happy. We're all big one happy family and we are. Then they leave all disgruntled and mad and they're ripping your preacher and they're ripping your church. And you're like, oh, like, 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 like. Like, 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 like. Okay. Pretty soon you will be like them. You'll be liking what they like because you can't stop yourself and you just can't control because you're more interested in being accepted and loved than you are taking a stand in the right areas. When's the last time you confronted them and said, listen, that's wrong. Your attitude's wrong. Your position's wrong. And you need to change it. You need to get right with God, my friend. When's the last time you as a friend let iron sharpeneth iron? When did you let iron sharpen when 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 were you faithful the wounds of a friend What are those wounds you remember those wounds that you get from a real friend not the one that always tells you what you want to hear okay, thanks preacher you're the best you're awesome yeah, I know thank you for they that are such serve not our Lord Jesus Christ but their own belly and by good words and fair speeches deceive the hearts of the people Paul told the Romans he said you better be careful You better mark them and you better avoid them because, listen, that doctrine, that false teaching is going to wreck and ruin your lives. And he's telling Timothy that as he closes the book of 1 Timothy. He's saying, you might be the preacher. You might be the man of God. You might be the one that's head over the church. But let me tell you something, Timothy. You and your people better be real careful who you allow influencing you. Don't you dare get mixed up. And all this mess of avoid profane and vain babblings and opposition of signs, falsely so called, which some, Timothy, better than you even, have heard concerning the faith. Timothy, do you really believe that you'll be the exception to the rule? Do you really believe that you're stronger than Demas? You're stronger than Alpha-Hell, whatever his name was off. I can't remember his name now off the top of my head. It's a long name. Do you believe you're stronger than they are? Timothy, you better avoid some people and you better avoid some things. They're not teaching. They're not believing what you believe. You better, better be careful. You better heed my words. And this is a tough one today in our world, I know. But you know what? The devil goes after your mind. In 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 3 through 4, he says, If our gospel be hid, it is hid to them that are lost, in whom the God of this world hath blinded the minds of them which believe not, lest the light of the glorious gospel of Christ, who is the image of God, should shine unto them. Have you ever met somebody, not just lost, but somebody saved, who you can tell has been blinded? You ever met that person? And you know, let's be honest. I have woken up at times in my life. To the realization that I was blinded and I went wow I can't even believe that I thought that way I can't even believe that I was headed that way I can't even believe that I thought I was the man as brother Fred would say the man with the plan so be careful because Satan will attack our minds and so he's behind all this false teaching and he's extremely clever he bends, he warps, he twists the minds of men until they believe the most ridiculous nonsense. And so the devil is waging warfare. Be careful. So, what's he say to Timothy as he closes? Grace be with thee. Grace be with thee. Paul the Apostle uh, is trying to help Timothy here. And he closes with this wonderful, ad- this wonderful admonition. Not just, ad- not admonition, but this statement. Now, if you look at the book of John, chapter 1, verse 17, you'll read in the conclusion of that verse, grace and truth come by Jesus Christ. Grace and truth come by Jesus Christ. Now, Timothy had a lot of truth. He had plenty of truth. There's no doubt about that. He was at home in the Old Testament. You say, how how, how, or why was that? Well, his mother and his grandmother probably saw to that, I'd imagine. I mean, of course... They believed in the Lord, so I got to believe they went back to that Old Testament and they raised him on their knee, bouncing him, telling him the stories and, you know, inspiring him and encouraging him through them. He was also at home in the New Testament. Again, most of it had been written by the time Timothy's really on the scene here, 66 A.D. and so forth. A lot of the scriptures had been written. Paul had seen to that, of course. And then he had personally been instructed by the Apostle Paul in doctrine. I mean, Timothy had plenty of truth. What he needed was grace. He needed grace to stand firm in Ephesus in Paul's place. Paul would have come to him. Paul wanted to be there, I'm sure. Paul had a desire, of course, to serve and to meet the needs of the people. But he couldn't do everything, so he sent Timothy. Timothy's going to need the grace to stand in Paul's place. He's going to need the grace to remain faithful as God's ambassador there. He's going to need the grace to be steadfast in that pastorate and in that position that God had placed him in. He needed God's grace. That's what he needed more than anything else. Because he already had the knowledge. He had the truth. but He needed God's grace to stand. You know what? God wants us to stand firm in the face of the attacks that are going to come our way. You know, in the early days of the church, the doctrinal attacks were from within. And, of course, the devastating persecutions were from without. We still have attacks in our ministries and lives. Boy, God's grace needs to be sufficient. You know, most of you have enough truth to succeed. You've been saved any length of time, been in any church that preaches and teaches the Word of God, you have truth. We need the grace of God, the grace of God to continue to stand, and to continue to face everything God has for us. O Timothy, keep that which is committed to thy trust, avoiding profane and vain babblings and opposition of science falsely so-called, which some professing have erred concerning the faith. Grace be with thee. Amen. Well, God is good. We have the truth today right here in the book and we i believe in most cases have every opportunity to hear it on a regular basis may god give us the grace we need now and may we continue to go forward being faithful in our endeavors for the lord jesus christ father we come to you